0: I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theatre scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theatre scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theatre creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be... Stageworthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Bronwyn Steinberg is a theatre director and community builder and the artistic director of Calgary's Lunchbox Theatre. She's passionate about making theatre an inclusive gathering space where stories are shared that celebrate the diversity of human experience. In this conversation, we talk about the Calgary theatre scene, how Lunchbox Theatre has been a hub for new play development, how Bronwyn found her way to Lunchbox Theatre, and much more. Here's our conversation. So, Bronwyn, thank you so much for joining me. Why don't we get started? Because I'm... Since I live in a a bit of a Toronto-Ontario bubble... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm... not familiar with with some of the theaters outside of of, of what I know, and I, I've not heard of Lunchbox Theater. So tell me about Lunchbox Theater.
1: Sure. Uh, well, Lunchbox Theater is kind of an institution out here in Mokinsis, also known as Calgary. Um, Lunchbox has been around for 47 years, um, and we do one act plays and we do them at lunchtime. Um, so the idea from the founders was really to um, provide Um, a different option for theater for downtown office workers and shoppers and whatever. And uh, so the plays used to be pretty strictly like between 45 and 50 minutes because people could like clock in and out of their offices and get there for lunch, which I think is really lovely and sweet, but totally not the way things work anymore. Um, So we can now do, we could do a little bit over an hour if we need to, because we know that most people are probably not like punching a card when they go back to work. But we still do our plays at lunch and it's just, um, people can eat their food in the theater. um, And so we try to have a really sort of welcoming vibe. And um, one of the things I love about it is having that one act format and during the day, it's just accessible in a really different way than other kinds of professional theater. Um, There's, whether it is people fitting it in on a lunch break from work or um, seniors, um, you know, who might have to go to the theater with like, you know, a support worker or something like that, like different people can go to the theater um, than maybe your typical crowd uh, in the evening. And of course, we get the typical theater-going crowd as well, but it's nice to be sort of a different offering in terms of accessibility. and, um, And again, yeah, our shows, we try to make them really inclusive and welcoming, and that's not only the environment and the format, but also the kinds of stories that we like to tell.
0: It's fascinating that, to me... That, that Lunchbox Theater has this, this long history. In, in Toronto, um, there was a company many, many, many years ago. Well, I say many years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, that tried doing something similar in the business district and they didn't last very long. Hmm. Um, and it's, so it's, it's, it, I think it's wonderful to hear about a company that has found success doing that it, uh, for like the lunchtime crowd and things like that. What do you think is behind the success of the longevity of Lunchbox Theater?
1: gosh um such a good question and i i don't know it's it's sort of hard to say because I, I like the the feeling of the kind of audiences we're reaching here in calgary is not that different than what i could imagine in toronto so i also don't know why it it hasn't sustained itself there you know um i think in the early years especially because we used to be located really close to like the sort of business centers and lots of office towers and things um, that audience really became quite loyal. And I don't know, I guess I found when I've heard, you know, people talk about like the art scene in Perth, Australia or, you know, like places that are a little bit more away from the sort of cultural centers. I think that there's an amazing thing where where people really do come out for the arts um, because they're excited that it's actually happening in their own community. And nowadays, Calgary's got tons going on, so it, we really are a cultural center here. Um, but I think that those early days in the 70s, it was probably quite a special thing to have any kind of professional theater um, as the different theaters here were popping up. And so I think it established Lunchbox as just this kind of beloved tradition. Um, and even though we're in a different location now, so we have a little bit less uh, proximity to like the office workers. Um it kind of doesn't matter because the work culture has changed so much anyway in terms of people working from home or like right. I was saying before, like the kinds of hours that people work. Um, I feel like it doesn't really make that big of a difference that we're no longer in that previous location. But I think that was part of it. And also there was a great deal with the city back in those days. I think the, for many years that location, the lunchbox rented for something like a dollar, um, you know, and we now we, we don't have that set up anymore. Um, but I think that the sort of support that came from um both local government and also the business sector in the 70s and 80s really built a quite an amazing and robust theater scene here and so lunchbox was part of that
0: i think it's i mean i think one of the reasons why it that sort of lunchtime theater didn't succeed here is because it was too new mm. nobody really done it before and it takes time to build up an audience for that and mm-hmm. they didn't have that kind of like hey uh you know cheap rent or like subsidized rent, they had to pay like full retail rent in, uh, in the, 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 main business area. So I could, I, it makes sense that they, they didn't have the opportunity to flourish. Um, but I think it's, it's such a great idea to be able to bring theater to people at that, at that level, because I think sometimes evening theater has a barrier. I think so.
1: Yeah. Well, and especially in cities where um, the people don't live as much in the sort of cultural district areas. Mm -hmm. And so if you get home from work and have to get back, commute back to downtown or something, you know, it's there's a lot of weird little barriers you don't think of like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that we often don't think about those. I mean, I've been very aware of over the last few years of how going to the theater also means going out for dinner, finding parking, all these other things that You have to do, which at the end of a workday, do you like you're just thinking, like, is this really how I want to spend my evening? You know, and to bring it to people at lunch is 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 a great little thing. Now, you do mostly, am I correct, mostly like a a, a new Canadian work?
1: Yeah, um, we don't do exclusively new Canadian work, but it's definitely an emphasis of our programming. And um, we have a festival um, developing new Canadian work that's been around for 35 years now, uh, wow. the Stage 1 Festival of New Canadian Work. And that was created, um, I guess the founders kind of realized there wasn't as many one-act plays to do <laughs> as as Lunchbox needed because Lunchbox was busy and doing a lot of plays. So they realized, hey, we need to actually develop this work. And now it's become such a great um, kind of, breeding ground for new canadian plays and a lot of playwrights really get excited to, to sort of the at the at the one act form and gi- giving that kind of of uh, structure a try before they want to write a full-length play or or whatever um and our our venues have always been quite simple so like technical elements need to be that you know uh, within reason And we tend to do small cast shows this like right now we're doing, you know, about four actors is kind of our max. And over over time, I think I've seen photos from earlier seasons at Lunchbox or maybe they'd have like six actors, but generally a a smaller, more contained kind of structure, which I think a lot of playwrights um, benefit from practicing. Um, And, you know, sometimes the right. Sort of breeding ground for that is like a fringe festival or mm-hmm. the fr- or the fringe circuit, but sometimes you want something that's kind of not I don't know doesn't have the same kind of fringe appeal but could have a different appeal. And I feel like those, yeah, ledgebox has been a great place to, to develop all kinds of different stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know what you're saying about about fringe because I was just thinking as you were describing that 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 in many cases the one act play doesn't get a lot of respect not mm-hmm. not in the professional worlds so often in like some of the you know, there's all these festivals. Or, uh, they're often student festivals or, or, or quote unquote community and things like that. But a lot of times the one act outside of Fringe doesn't get a lot of respect. And in Fringe, because that's what, well, pretty much all you can do in Fringe. So it's, it's really fascinating to me the, that, that, you know, that's, and I think it's great that that, 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 that's sort of like you fostered that because it is a great way for a playwright to, to learn to tell a story before expanding into a two act format
1: absolutely and i mean i just love i mean it's like short story writing versus novels you know in some ways it's harder um, because you have to you know be more direct and to the point the the story has to have its whole arc but it has to do it in in less time but of course now we love watching sort of tv that's got Mm -hmm. that 55 minute length like that you could tell a lot of stories In under an hour. Um, And I think, yeah, I think our audiences and I mean ourselves, we're quite drawn to that time frame these days. And it's funny because I'm often trying to think like, how can I how can we at Lunchbox like market the shows according to the. It's only an hour. <laughs> it doesn't sound like, you know, I don't know. I don't want it to sound like we're sort of degrading our work by saying that. But actually, when I'm scrolling through Netflix, when I see a show is an hour, I'm like, sweet. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, it's yeah. actually a really great length for our attention spans. And again, like you can get a full story in it, but you have to write it really tightly. And I think that's such a good exercise for playwrights.
0: It's an excellent ex- exercise, like the 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 ability to write a tight one act play like you, you can only Im- that can only improve your writing. I was thinking about how you were saying, you know, it's only an hour, which is like the kind of thing where you're like telling an audience, like, uh, don't worry, we're only going to torment you for 50 minutes and then you can go. You know, it's like <laughs> exactly. that kind of thing. But that's, <laughs> you know, it's 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 hard to sort of sell the 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 short time frame without sounding like that because it's a selling
1: point it's totally a selling point but how do you phrase it
0: yeah yeah (laughs) well that's a good question how do you phrase
1: it i don't know um (laughs) i mean we make sure it's like clear on our materials what our runtime Mm. is so people can see that um I, well, especially our current show actually runs an hour five. So our longtime Lunchbox patrons need to know it's actually over an hour so they can plan for like parking and stuff. Um, but uh, most new patrons, that's, that, to them, it's not really any difference if it's 55 or 65 minutes. Um, but yeah, so we make sure the runtime is easy to find. Um, but mostly we, we try to focus on kind of the effect of, of you know, what we hope people will walk away with our our Mm. sort of tagline this season is lunch for your soul Mm. Um, because a lot of our well all of our plays that we're doing I think hopefully feel like a bit soul expanding they're really stories of human connection I mean it's theater so that's a lot of stories Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah that, that it's We also try to not have our plays be too heavy lifting. Mm. Like in the middle of the day, you want to feel good when you want when you leave going back to work or on about your errands or whatever. You want to be still talking about the story or still thinking about these characters, but like with a bit of a glow, you know. Um, So so I definitely look for plays that leave you with a real sense of optimism. That doesn't mean there can't be any heavy lifting, but we need to like get there to a place of warmth and optimism.
0: Yeah, you kind of, especially in the middle of the day, you kind of do have to send them back to work feeling like they can continue their day. Exactly. <laughs> um, Are there things that you look for in the one act plays that Lunchbox Theater does?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that thing I was just describing of that kind of sense of optimism and connection is really important to me. Um. We do love comedies, musicals, and love stories. Again, like, it's lunch, we want to have fun. (laughs) Um, If it's like an exploration of an identity kind of play, I don't want it to be sort of like a trauma identity piece. I I would like it to be a more joyful kind of thing. Um, Again, a tight story, well-told, manageable number number of characters, uh, setting requirements that allow us to really play in the small space that we have. Like, um, I love scenic design that's a bit more presenting kind of a fun visual metaphor rather than having to be fully realism, um, which I think also works well with the, with the one-act format, format often. I mean, sometimes you want it to just be kind of a kitchen sink, you know, very realistic kind of house setting. Um, but I I don't know, I really, I feel like I've been drawn um, to plays that have a little bit more, yeah, room for metaphor and playfulness, hmm. um, which is maybe more my own aesthetic than just Lunchbox. But wh- something I keep coming back to is a feeling of elegance.
0: Right. Um,
1: and not like fancy elegance, but like simplicity and beauty in the storytelling. Um, so again, a clear thrust to the story um characters that do go on a journey and that we really understand and relate to and in a place that's that we can make sense of you know like with with some yeah some sense of i guess i keep saying the same thing um play playfulness and metaphor but like in a way that doesn't need a whole bunch of sh- stuff to mm. make it happen i don't need you know a heavy
0: piece right now, my experience with theater in Calgary is, as I said, very quite limited. I was in in Calgary for the Calgary Fringe about it 12 years. It was a long time, a number, a number of years ago with a show. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't. Re- I mean, Fringe is so intense that you often don't get a sense of what the theater scene of the city that you're in actually is like. Um, where does. Aside from nurturing playwrights and, and find and, you know, sort of like being a starting point for a lot of playwrights, uh, where does Lunchbox Theatre sit in the Calgary theatre ecosystem? What does it bring? What is it, What does it nurture? What does it do, aside from the playwrights aspect?
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of that way for all artists, which is really special. When I first arrived here two years ago, it was, you know, we were deep in pandemic lockdown times. So we weren't doing shows yet. So I had a little bit of time to get acclimated as I was kind of taking, off, taking the reins of, of Lunchbox Theater. And so I put out a call to the community that if anybody just wanted to meet me on Zoom, they could. And I ended up having about 220 minute Zoom meetings um, over a course of a few months. And um, that was one of the questions I was asking people because I wanted to know about their relationship to Lunchbox, but also like about what they appreciated or loved about that relationship because I want to make sure that We keep doing that if we're doing something well. Um, And I heard so many people from every discipline within theater saying that Lunchbox was where they had their first professional gig, whether it was as an actor, stage manager, designer, director. And so it's always been a place where emerging artists have really been supported, uh, but a fully professional environment at the same time. So it's not, um, you know, it's it's. It's not like people feel like they're working with recent graduates and a couple mentor um, teaching artists. It's still, if you're an, even if you're an emerging artist, you're in a fully professional show. Um, And again, because it's, we're a, you know, a packed member professional company where it's not the kind of vibe of rehearsing for a fringe show, which can be of course, all over the map. It can be extremely professional or it can be extremely ad hoc in your own basement or whatever. Um, But uh, yeah, so we have all the supports of, being on an equity contract and all those things. But there just always has felt, and this is what I kept hearing from people, that they've always felt really really welcome at Lunchbox and really supported. Um, And that's so awesome to me. I just Mm. am so excited to be a part of that. And um, we've even kind of been expanding our support for emerging artists this year. We have a new program that has even more emerging artists with us than usual, which is awesome. Um, But it's definitely been that, place within the calgary theater ecology um, is a place where people do get a chance um, and also where people love coming back to work and artists that are you know that have been doing the the work for decades um, love getting a chance to come back and do a show at lunchbox even if they haven't been there for since they were an emerging artist or whatever especially if they have families like the shows are at noon and they're an hour mm. so once you're in run Like it's a pretty sweet work day Um, and you can pick your kids up from school, you know, (laughs) or whatever it is you need to do. And you can be home with them in the evening or take them to another show or some of the artists who like have been working at Lunchbox since the 70s were telling me that in in those days when the when the casting pool was smaller, they would be doing a show at Lunchbox in the day and rehearsing a show at um, one of the other companies in the evening, which Mm. I think is kind of amazing. Um, But now we've really, like, along with Patty, our general manager, she and I really agreed on kind of taking advantage of that, those aspects Mm. of the lunchbox model um, with the fact that you can sort of balance your life a little bit more. Mm. And so we're like, and we only do one act plays. So we are doing the five hour or five day work week. We're doing no 10 out of 12s. We're doing those things and trying to make even before we open, try to make our um, workspace kind of more balanced and nurturing, Hmm. uh, which is really cool. And I, yeah, I'm really proud of that work and also feel like um, if we can't, if a one-act company can't be a leader in more humane work practices, Hmm. then we're all screwed. Um, So like, not only do I believe in it, but I also feel like obligated (laughs) almost Hmm. in a good way. Um, Because I think those are changes our industry needs. Um, But yeah, if we can't manage it, um, then then it's true that we really need to rethink everything about what we do.
0: And you think you're, and, you know, the genuine question, you think that you're successfully navigating that?
1: I'm about to open a show tomorrow that we very successfully rehearsed in five-day work weeks. And, you know, we teched this week because, you know, we it's a small show, so we did or We did tech last week and then into previews this week. So it wasn't a super long process. We mm. never stayed after six, um, except for one night when there was painting that needed to happen. But painting mm. has to dry overnight. So we did the paint call, but we accommodated then the day then. We knew that those people were going to be painting. Um, and it's I'm really proud of it. It's a beautiful little show. It's a one-act musical. There's 10 songs in it, four actors and two musicians, um, a whole bunch of lighting cues. You know, it's not like... We didn't do a full, solid, beautiful yeah. show. We just did it in a manageable way.
0: Huh. Wow! Imagine, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, 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 you joined during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and the pandemic was like a great interrupt for the whole theater world. Um, what was, what was, what was the impact of the pandemic on lunchbox theater?
1: Well, it was pretty huge. Um, I mean, to be honest, pre pandemic, Lunchbox was not in the healthiest place um, financially and in terms of work practices. Like, we used to have our own venue, and having your own venue kind of means you need to keep it full all the time. So, we did a lot more shows, and we also um, had to kind of have our own relationship with renters using it when we weren't using it. Um, And the staff was bigger because of you know, needing to have our own um, technicians and box office and, you know, all those people. Um, And it's in some ways a shame that we don't have that structure anymore. But um, the venue's lease was up in September of 2020 and the board just decided to not renew it. Um, And we are, our old venue is in the base of the Calgary Tower and directly across the hall from Vertigo Theatre. Um, who are great friends. They do mysteries, which is awesome. Um, And they have a much bigger facility. They have the full, the Vertigo Playhouse, which I think is around 400 seats. And then they have a studio that's 130 seats. And they um, spoke with our staff and with the board and said that they would allow us to be kind of primary renters of their studio space. Um, And so we get kind of first dibs at the calendar once they know when they need it. Um, and so now we're producing across the hall, so not a disruption disruption really to our patrons. If any of them still don't know we moved, then all we have to do is say, turn around and <laughs> look at the others at the door on the other side. um, so yeah, so our patrons have found their way, and their facility is beautiful, and now we um you know, we give their brilliant staff more hours um, and we have a smaller staff, so because of the pandemic, we've really completely refigured the way we work we're doing four shows a season instead of eight or nine Um, we're doing them in this rental venue which is um, in some ways a better um, setup for us because they have really good equipment they have a little bit more seating capacity we only had 100 seats before and now we got 120 130 Um, and we have this really lovely supportive relationship with vertigo Um, and that's something i also really feel in the calgary theater ecology is really nice is that I feel like the different companies in town actually like each other and support each other in a really nice way, um, which is awesome. Um, mm. So, yeah, so we've had some sort of major changes and we now only have a full time staff of three. Mm. Um, but then we have a bunch of um, part time contract folks, um, as well as our you know contractors on individual shows and things. Um, so we still have quite a lot going on, but we're trying to do fewer things and do them better, mm. which I think is not a bad shift in our industry in general that's not bad at all
0: yeah. um you mentioned uh the theater companies in calgary sort of like liking each other <laughs> no. um, and i have for years been operating with uh sort of like this this uh, this idea and it was actually inspired on the fringe circuit of fabulous uh a uh, fringe artist uh cameron moore Uh, my first time at the Montreal Fringe had this seminar. And the first thing that she said was there's audience enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. We're not in competition. Mm -hmm. And I've really sort of held on to that. I occasionally have mentioned that to people and I get pushback Mm -hmm. from them um, because they sort of, it's the idea, you know, the idea that the audience, where is our audience going is the question that we're always asking and we're losing our audience. And so that makes people think that they're in competition. And I really don't think that that's the case generally. I think that, that, that audiences that go to see good theater continue to see good theater.
1: Absolutely. And like, you know, the more good theater anyone is making, mm-hmm. the more people will be interested in good theater because they'll, they'll be, you know, they see my show and they're like, oh, that was cool. Then they hear about another show and they might go to that, too. It's not like, oh, I already saw theater. I'm done for the year. <laughs> you know, um, I think in, instead it's totally the opposite. Like, oh, I saw this play and it, it made me feel things and I had a yeah. good time and I laughed. And, you know, I kind of want to do more of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Calgary is neat because the, the four like bigger companies are all really different in what we do. So we really, we really aren't in competition. Um, like I said, our, our closest colleagues are the ones that we share space with Vertigo. They do mysteries and they do like big main stage productions. Right now they're doing Murder on the Orient Express, this huge like 12 person cast. There's a train on stage. It's beautiful. It's like such a different experience than our warm holiday Christmas (laughs) musical, you know, that we're doing, which is so charming. I don't even like Christmas and it's so charming. Um, But uh, yeah, it's such a different feeling. That like, yes, they'll appeal to very different people. The people who love theater will come to both. But also there's room um, to then for the people who don't already come to theater for the ones who are like, ooh, I love Murder Mysteries. I love Agatha Christie. They'll go see the Vertigo show. And that's awesome. Yeah. I don't need them to necessarily come to see my Christmas musical. Um, but then there's going to be people who are like, oh, Christmas musical. That's a fun. And they'll come mm. to mine and maybe they don't want to go to a Murder Mystery. That's OK, too you know um and then the other bigger companies Theater Calgary and Alberta Theater Projects I mean Theater Calgary is like a big A house main stage place where they do big scale musicals and they do classics or they do newer Canadian works that are partnering with you know Cannes Stage Arts Club or whatever Um, So like that's a really particular um, different kind of theater going experience where people are like, yeah, I want to go in the fancy lobby and be there at night and all that stuff and have the kind of like big theater experience. And then Alberta Theatre Projects um, has also a great tradition of developing new Canadian plays, but ones that are maybe a little bit edgier than we do at Lunchbox and certainly aren't one hour and things like, like there's room for all of us.
0: Mm hmm. It's funny. Um, you mentioned, you know, somebody seeing their play for the year, and I feel like some people do that because I think they get the idea that theater is expensive. Maybe mm. they saw a Broadway show and they paid out of the they paid out of the wazoo for those tickets, or they were in Toronto and they saw a big Mervis show, and they're I can only afford to do that like once a year. But there's so many companies that are more affordable in the way that, like, you know, if you take the family to see a movie now and then, you can get the same. You know, you could see a, a a show, and I think oh, that yeah. there's, you know, we it, it it's available. Um, but sometimes I think the theater doesn't do a great job of 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 sort of like uh, up talking itself, like selling itself as a as a, as a, as a form of entertainment that is, you know, you could do that in the evening. You yes, you can see the movie, but you can also see something really cool over here. Yeah, totally.
1: I I and that's something I feel like we we could do better in collaboration. As a theater community, I don't know how I don't have, like, the answer for that. Um, but I think, yeah, I think uh, you're right that as a kind of sector, we could mm-hmm. we could do better at talking yeah. that up. I mean, it's funny, though, here in Calgary, your parking is going to cost more than your theater ticket, <laughs> um, which is a, which is a problem, actually. That is a problem. Um, that is a,
0: That is a real problem.
1: Yeah. But like, you know, we, we are, that's another thing. And then we just, we want to be accessible. So our tickets are lower. Um, also like our shows are smaller and shorter. So like, it does feel that you can't ask people to pay like $80 for a musical. No. That's just mm. only 55 minutes long, you know? Yeah.
0: Um, now you mentioned uh, recently joining uh, a Lunchbox theater. Uh, where, where were you before and what, you, what brought you to, young, to lunchbox?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this job brought me here. Um, I was actually born in southern Alberta, closer to Lethbridge. um, And my mom's a professor at the University of Calgary. So Alberta has always been kind of um, one of my homes. um, But I hadn't actually lived here for more than maybe, you know, two months in the summer um, until I took this job. Um, But when I saw the job was up, it was like, oh, what a what an exciting opportunity. I'd kind of had my eyes on Calgary for a while because I had been here enough to really get a sense of um, how exciting the theater community here was and also had family connection. Uh, But I actually came here from Ottawa, where I was for about 12 years. Um, I went there to do my master's in directing, my MFA at Ottawa U. Um, And, you know, when you go somewhere to do a two year program and then you find yourself there 12 years later um, because you started doing all kinds of things. Um, So, yeah, I was in Ottawa for that amount of time and um, While I was there, um, I created an indie theater series um, called Tactics, uh, which is um, a project I'm really proud of and is still operating in Ottawa, which is great. When I came to Lunchbox, um, I had a few other artists sort of take the lead, and now we're actually, we incorporated as a not-for-profit about a year before I left, and so I'm actually now on the board, which is fun that I can still support from away, but also see it grow and change under new artistic leadership was really fun um but tactics is um does a lot of things that are kind of similar to lunchbox which is i guess why it felt like such a natural kind of progression for me in terms of it is a place where independent artists and emerging artists can kind of grow into their professional practice um but it's really a home for the kinds of shows um that maybe don't fit at the fringe because maybe they're two acts or maybe they have a complicated set design or whatever um so it's kind of a subscription series or um not always actually the subscriber model but a kind of a series of uh, indie shows that happen in the same venue and have a bit of support um and they're curated um but they're still the shows generally still have a full sort of production ru- run it's not unlike kind of the riser project and kind of some of those things that mm. have been happening in toronto mm-hmm. um it's a uh, not, not exactly the same model, and we happened kind of in parallel. So it's been neat to see how it's happening in other places. Saskatoon has something called the Live Five, which I was also really inspired by when I heard about it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a place where indie artists can get some of the similar kind of support you would have at the Fringe, but to be able to do a main stage show. Hmm. Um, and then in addition, in addition to main stage programming, there's also development programming and um, community building kind of programming. They have the development series, the main stage series, and then the community building. We call it the green room series. Um, and so different events, um, like things like a grant writing workshop or something, but also like an office holiday party for artists who don't work in offices hmm. um, or things like that.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: That was a long now, answer.
0: I love it. I love it. Speaking of, of where you've been, one of the things that I really love to hear about are 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 people's theater origin stories the thing mm. that 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 made you or the the journey that brought you from like how did you discover theater how did you decide that it was going to be a thing you do you did and what's what what was that journey like
1: yeah um well it's kind of funny um my mom i mentioned my mom is a professor at the university of calgary um she's a professor of education and before she was a prof when she was still a teacher in schools she was a drama teacher Um, so basically from when I was about six on, she took me to rehearsals with her. So I kind of just grew up thinking when you grew up, you were like, yeah, when you grew up, you'd become a theater director because that's what grownups do. They direct plays. Uh, So it was, that's kind of where I started. Um, but, uh, along the way, um. I focused more on acting uh, for undergrad and for a few years after I graduated and um, I I don't know if I was just, it's hard to know if I was like in the wrong place at the wrong time or maybe I'm not actually a very good actor or <laughs> um, or if I wasn't patient enough or what, but I didn't feel like, I don't know, I was getting a lot of great work in TYA, which is really fun. Um, But I didn't know sort of where to go next as an actor. And I was living in the U.S. at the time because I'm a dual citizen. And then I was invited to um, be an assistant director for that TYA company I worked for. And that was really cool. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm really interested in directing. Um, And then that went well. So they invited me back to direct. And I directed a two-person version of A Christmas Carol um, that went to, um, toured to elementary schools and middle schools all over the U.S., Hmm. And um, the way they worked is, because it was a two-person show, um, they would have multiple two-person teams. that would all be touring the show in different regions. So that season, I directed nine two-person teams. And um, it was so much fun. Um, We would have a separate rehearsal for each team. So we'd have, we basically were on a three-day cycle. And they were doing two shows. So they would have like day one, they'd have a three-hour rehearsal with me um day 2 they'd have a 3 hour rehearsal on their other show and then day 3 they'd have uh the day off and then meanwhile i would do the same rehearsal 9 times in a row um but i would do it you know team abc on day 1 def or whatever on day 2 um and so on and i found through doing the same show with 9 different pairs of actors that it was really neat to be able to dig into the same story and try to have Basically similar blocking and the same set and costume design and everything and same, same show, but really honor the actors' different energies and the way each team of actors work together. And I just, maybe also because of my background as an actor, I just really admire and respect um, that, how actors collaborate with a director. And I found that I just loved it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe more, I'm more of a director than an actor. So I went to grad school and then 12 years Mm. went by and then here I am. Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, but my, my earliest origin is like, actually I went to rehearsal when I was six with my mom. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Do you, do you have a memory of of the first thing that you recall being rehearsed?
1: Um, like as a little kid? Yeah. Oh yeah. She was doing grease at a high school. Um, and, uh, Actually, I don't know if you know, Kari Matchett was in that cast and shes um you'll recognize her on lots of different TV things. Right. Um, but she was in that high school and she and my mom are actually still friends and, and I'm friends with her now, too. Um, but I remember going to rehearsal and I remember, I don't know, I guess the image I have of Grease in my head. It's hard to know what's like funny photos I've seen in the family <laughs> and what's actually a memory. But um I think I really remember the song, Freddie, my love being rehearsed. And I think Mm. I remember that because I don't, it's not in the
0: movie, is it? Uh, It's one of those songs in the movie that's actually, and I'm such a nerd for knowing this, um, it's played in the background over the
1: right, But they don't do the whole thing. No,
0: they don't do the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And I have this image of seeing, seeing these high school girls doing the whole thing. So I think that's, I think that image comes from rehearsal.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. That's but awesome.
1: that was always a song that I was like, yeah, I love that song. And then it's like, I <laughs> watch the movie. I'm like, hey, where is that? I,
0: there are a bunch of songs that are great songs that that uh, are not in the movie. But if you bought the movie soundtrack, they're on there.
1: Ah, uh, OK. Good to know. Because
0: <laughs> they, I don't know, they recorded them. So they kept them. Even right, right. That was, they were able to do a double album because of those. And oh, saw, wow. And so I them more expensively. Um, just coming back to Lunchbox Theater. um I know that uh, uh, and one of the things I've, I've talked with a few people about about mentorship and mentorship as far as like the um, the future of leadership in in the theater. Um, there were a number of years that, that I remember living through where a theater company in Canada would be looking for a new leader and they would find one, but never in Canada. They would bring somebody from the state. They would bring somebody from England, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm see we're seeing more and more now um the you know companies who have a uh, 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 Canadian leaders um but I think it's also important that that all of those companies that the companies are nurturing the next generation of leadership so we don't ever have to look outside uh, our our own country to find a a leader uh for a company and okay. I know that uh, uh lunchbox has uh, an associate artist company or is that, is that actors? Is that, is that leadership or is it the whole gamut? Uh,
1: well it's, so this is our new sort of pilot program, um, that, uh, is, that I, I mentioned briefly before. I'm really excited about it. Um, so this one is all geared for not on stage artists. Um, so we, there's actually no actors in it, though some of them are also actors in addition to what they're doing. Um, but we have a director, a playwright, a dramaturg. One of our assistant stage managers is part of the program, two designers and and a production manager. And so each of them um, directly mentors with one of the three core staff. So as artistic director, my three are the director, the playwright, and the dramaturg. The two designers and the production manager are working with Anton, our production manager. And uh, the ASM is working with Patty, our general manager, who was a stage manager for many years before she shifted into administration. So um, what they're doing is they're with us for the whole season. um, And we meet with the whole cohort once a month um, so that they can really understand how the overall company is working. And then they also um, work on the shows as they come along. So my my assistant director was in rehearsal with me for the show we are about to open. um, And... They're not necessarily with us full time, like the the kind of that kind of structure of an assistant director, but more like getting to shadow, but also getting to like ask questions and contribute ideas, certainly. Um, And then the assistant direct or assistant designers doing a similar thing, working with our designers, so they get to really see um, the whole process in action. But they get to see it on four shows over the course of the season. And then also get to be let in on overall how, this, how the company works, which I think is, it's not necessarily directly um, kind of a leadership residency, but I think that knowing how the whole thing works and know, will lead to artists who understand better how, where their place is. And the ones that want to explore more leadership will actually have a chance to know what that even means. Hmm. Um, but I think if you just get brought in as like an assistant designer on one show, um, it's neat and you get to learn from that designer on that show. But how do you like, what? how, how do you learn what's next? You right. know, and I firmly believe, even though so many artistic directors um, and artistic leaders do come from sort of the directing discipline, there's no requirement that we need to be directors. You know, like leadership can come from anywhere. And so I think mm-hmm. having that whole cohort get to kind of see and get to know the team, the leadership team at Lunchbox through the season um, I'll be interested to see which of them do, um, as they grow into themselves as artists, like figure out that leadership is a, is, as a larger concept is something they're interested in. Um, last year, we got to apply for or we got we were successful in applying for a particular leadership residency grant that's available here in Alberta uh, from this foundation called the Rosé Foundation. It's kind of similar in Ontario to the Metcalfe Foundation grants. I don't know if you know those um but uh because of that we were able to have um an emerging artistic leader be um kind of my mentee for the whole season and that was more of an artistic leadership um training Mm. and that was awesome and i hope we get to do it again i know there i talked to the person over in charge over there and asked them like can we apply right away And he was like, well, we kind of want to spend that and spread that money around and make sure it's really about the relationship between the mentee and the Mm -hmm. organization, too. So it's not really on me to be like, this is something we always do and people just apply for the thing. It's more like when I in conversation with an emerging artist or an emerging artistic leader, um, if they feel like spending time at Lunchbox would really benefit them, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: then I know it will benefit Lunchbox. Um, and so then we can apply for that grant and I'm, I'm hoping that maybe we can do that like every other year or something. Um, but it's still a new program. So I'm not sure, um, you know, how long they'll be funding it and all that stuff. Uh, but it's so important. I, I had the chance in Ontario to do one of those Metcalf grant, um, internships. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I did that with Eric Coates at GCTC in Ottawa for a year. And it's a huge part of my learning to, and that has brought me to this role now like I constantly am thinking sort of what would Eric do um, as I um, do my work here and I'm just yeah so so valuable and I don't know I don't know how you learn it without getting to actually work with a mentor and witness it
0: yeah yeah you mentioned I mean bringing all of these the the your cohort together and and have them with you for so long and learning about how everything works um, they're not just learning, and I think what, what, is, what is great about that, I think, is not just that they're not just learning one job, but they're learning how all of the jobs relate to each other, mm-hmm. which is so important. It's all well and good to learn how to be a designer, but you also need to know how the designer talks to the director and how the designer talks to the stage manager and, and how all of those relationships can work. Otherwise, you will only know one aspect of the job and you'll learn the rest the hard way.
1: Well, for sure. And I think that that benefits everyone, no matter which discipline you're in. But also, as I said, like to become an artistic leader, you Mm. kind of need to know what everybody's doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell me about the Old Dogs New Tricks project.
1: Oh, this is so neat. Um, So this is uh, headed up by... Natasha from Theatre New Brunswick um, and a whole bunch of other cool artists from across Canada, um, uh, like a working group that came together, I think mostly out of Pat's Environmental Stewardship Committee. um, It's kind of what, that's where this project kind of emerged. Um, But it's a project exploring sustainable design. um, And they got a grant from the Canada Council, one of those sector innovation and development grants, and so I think it's 10 companies from across Canada are participating this year. And we've been kind of um, tasked with trying out more sustainable practices on one of our shows. And um, they kind of have left it to us understanding that each company is in a really different um, situation in so many different ways whether that's uh, the size of our venue or you know what like geographically where we are or the kind of show we're working on so they haven't told us you need to make a carbon neutral show or you need to do a buy nothing new show or you know they haven't told us that um but what they did do is at the beginning of the project they set up um four webinars um to be as kind of a inspiration point um, for us to learn and take that into our work. Um, and then there's also we have access to some mentorship with them. And um, and then, yeah, we each company kind of creates their own um, set of parameters um, and a bit of a creative agreement of how they want to do this. Um, and it's been really cool to really Those webinars were just really great resources, Um, and I think there's recordings available. So um, maybe I can send you them, and you can put put the link in the show notes or something. Um, But the um, yeah, to to think about our practice, and you know whether it's a question of like, oh, this play is just contemporary modern dress, so we could very easily just shop for all the costumes in the mall, Um, but. Fast fashion has these kinds of um, environmental impacts. And even if the clothes are cheap, does that actually is that actually a good choice? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe instead we shouldn't be going to thrift stores. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if we go to thrift stores for these clothes, maybe we're going to have to drive all over Calgary and that's going right. to be a lot more carbon with the drive. And, and so it's just been really interesting. It's not like there's one way hmm. to make your design more sustainable, um, but it's been really great to learn all about the <laughs> <laughs> There he is. <laughs> That's Rishi. Um, hey, Rishi, it's okay. Um, sorry. Someone's making noise out there.
0: Of course. Oh,
1: oh my goodness. He's so loud. Um, Rishi, it's okay. All done. Um, yeah, so there's not one way to make your show or your theater company more sustainable. Mm. And let's be honest. I know that if the entire theater, yeah. Canadian theater sector became green, quote, unquote, whatever yeah. that is, tomorrow we're not going to stop the climate crisis.
0: Yes, yeah. I I
1: understand that. But Mm -hmm. we are storytellers. And so Mm -hmm. if we can actually tell the story of the things we're doing differently and reach audiences, whether it's in the play is part of the story or whether it's a note in the program about how we did the play or whether Mm -hmm. it's something that's on our social media, like that's what we are is we're storytellers. Can we help? I, again, I don't know that we can stop the climate crisis, but can we help <laughs> um, yeah. by harnessing our power as storytellers? And so that's the thing that I'm really excited about this project. And then my understanding is all 10 companies will um, share what they did. And oh. um, and so other companies can learn and be like, oh, actually, like some things are just a system swap. Like sometimes it's just, yeah. you know, just use this kind of lighting instrument instead of that lighting instrument. You know, mm-hmm. like there, there are things you can do um, But, you know, and then other things, it's like, you know, my designer for this show that we open tomorrow, she attended those webinars and we all did. That was a neat thing, too, about this project is they wanted the artistic leadership of the company and the show director and the designers and the production managers all to be attending it so that we could all kind of get on board with the conversation and not just be like, oh, okay, designer, can you just do this better? Um, Like, no, we all need to know how we're how we're trying to make it better. Um, But yeah, those... Those conversations really inspired her, and she came up with this design that is beautiful and elegant it doesn't use a lot of material um, and then when she was figuring out exactly how to scale it and build it with our production manager, they were like, "Oh, well, there's no need to make it that size when um, we could just make it an inch bigger or smaller or whatever, and then the lumber's way more reusable afterwards, mm. you know mm. um and if we do the joints in this way, it's very easy to pull it apart and actually use it rather than it going in a dumpster. So it's just planning how to build it better. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, sometimes it's figuring out that thrift stores are good. Sometimes it's figuring out that the mall is good, but it's just actually asking the question. Hmm. And mainly, I think the number one thing to make things more sustainable in terms of design and in terms of what we actually, our practices, is actually just giving the time to the question. We are so pressed for time always mm. in Canadian theater and it's a bit crazy. Um, and we don't like, there's always the like, well, I've got this problem. I can solve it with more money or more people or more hours, you know? Yeah. Um, can we start earlier? And then we don't have to necessarily throw, throw more people or money at it. At it. We could just give it some more hours and then we can do it better. Yeah, um, It's easier said than done. I know. Um But yeah, it's a really cool project. We're excited to be part of it. And I don't know exactly yet um, how it all went on this first show. Um, Like, I know that we did those things and that the um, designers were really on board with that. And we did a lot of, um, it's people in an airport. So we needed a bunch of different backpacks and things. Mm -hmm. So we actually crowdsourced all those from the team and just found the ones that felt like the closest to the character. Um, And then, but we like those things are being rented from each person who loaned them and they're on insurance and all that stuff. So we're like t- doing it with care, not just, Hey, can we use your backpack? Mm. Um, trying to do it like with some formality and with some care, but we don't need to buy a new backpack for someone to like sling it around, you know, for two seconds at the beginning yeah. of a play. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's uh, I mean, you, you sort of talked about the, the way that, you know, we're always, the theater is always, it's a treadmill of production, right? It's always mm-hmm. going, it's always going which has often i don't know if it's sometimes it's prevented us from having those conversations but sometimes that treadmill has acted as a bit of a an excuse for not having important conversations whether it's diversity whether it's sustainability it's just we're just doing this thing we got to get through it and it's important to have and to take the time to have all of those conversations so uh i'm i'm glad that this is something that's that's happening with lunchbox and with other companies as well to 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 have the sustainability conversation and to to put effort and time into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know it's, it's, that's exactly it. It's such a treadmill. Um, but we've just, we stopped that treadmill for the last couple of years and we're starting it back up. And unfortunately, most people seem to be starting it back up at a higher setting than it was at before. Yeah. Um, and it's like, did we learn anything here? Um I don't know. (laughs) I I mean, I hope that we did. Um, And I know we at Lunchbox are trying to really implement the things we've learned. And, you know, there's we're not we're not perfect by any means, Um, but we're trying.
0: I think that I mean, I think that, that, you know, starting up the treadmill again is, you know, it didn't doesn't have to be that way. We had time to pause and think and we had lots of important conversations and then to to start things up again. And to ignore all the conversations that we had and all of the time that we took and all of the thinking that we did is super short-sighted. Yeah. Um, I, I do know that, and one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because it feels to me like a kind of a result of the pause and, and, and really a smart way to work, is that you, it's important to you to, to build a, an environment that's nurturing and playful and productivity comes later, like at the same time. But you need the other two as a as a base before you can really have good productivity, is that a a new thing for you, or is that how you've always operated?
1: I think it's become more conscious now. Um I think it is generally how I tried to operate before. I don't know if I was always that successful, especially like if it was a more high pressured environment or a harder project. I might have not done as good a job as I hoped I would. Um, but having had this time to reflect and also being the person in artistic leadership, like, you know, rather than being sort of a gigging director all the time, though, I'm still happy to do that if anyone wants to hire me. Um, (laughs) But like, because I have that sort of relationship to the company as well, it's really important to me um, to create to not only create an environment like that in my own rehearsal hall, but for the overall company and to see that relationship. And I just think the productivity, it's not that it comes later, it actually comes better. Um, If you do it this way, Mm. Um, I think there needs to be people need to feel supported. Their needs need to be met and they need to feel actually like they really can express those needs and everybody's needs are different. Um, And if their needs are met and there is room for play and collaboration and fun, then the productivity will happen. Um, It doesn't you don't have to always start exactly at 10 um, right on, you know, like sometimes I mean, people have been doing check-ins for years, but like doing it in a way where it's really, really listen to the people, make sure they actually have what they need, not doing it because you feel like, oh, yeah, people are doing check-ins these days.
0: Well, Bronwyn, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and to learn about Lunchbox Theater.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Phil, for having me. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm very... They're proud of the things we're doing, so it's nice to be able to tell the story of it. Um, And I know, yeah, it's nice. I I appreciate this podcast to help connect um, artists from across our, our land here, across Turtle Island, finding out what everybody's up to.
0: This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at stageworthypod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at philrickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.